So uh, we are um, uh, in a conversation which I've entitled the um, the saga of the Lost Ark. Uh, I know some of you have seen the movie. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have seen the movie The Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, it looks like um, maybe a little bit more than half of you have seen that movie. Okay, um, well, I won't spoil it for the rest of you. Um, but uh, th- there actually was a lo- an ark, and it was lost. We just heard about how it was lost in the Bible. And um, it actually gets lost again. We'll see that in a few weeks. Um, but it's not quite the way it was in the movie. Um, and I, I don't want to spoil uh, the movie for those of you who haven't seen it yet, um, who are thinking maybe you should go watch it again or something. I don't want to spoil it. But at the end, there's some some crazy stuff that happens, and, and it looks for all the world like God is involved. Um, they never come out and say so, but it sure looks like God's involved um, based on some of the things that happen. And then at the end... The ark is put into a box, and it gets lost again. It was found, it did some crazy things, and then it got put in a box and was lost. Um, and that's kind of the the ark, uh, the the story arc of the ark of the covenant in that movie. And I think the reason for that is Hollywood struggles with a movie about an act of God. I think partly maybe that's just kind of where where people in Hollywood are coming from. Uh, maybe they don't want to sound like they're championing one religion or whatever. But I think also they're looking at the world and they're saying, you know, if there is a God, why doesn't God do something about this or that? Why doesn't God um, take more of a role in the world? So what they do is at the at the conclusion of the movie, they put God back in the box. And uh, maybe in a few centuries he'll be found again and he'll do some crazy stuff and then he'll be put back in a box. So the picture that, that the movie paints of God is a God who is very comfortable sitting things out, sitting in a box for centuries at a time and doing nothing until you actually take him out of the box and then he acts and then he goes back in the box when you're done. And that's really the picture you see in that movie, what kind of God the movie paints. And the question we're going to be looking at today is, is that the God that we see in Scripture? Is 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 the God of Scripture like the one we see on the big screen. Is our God a lucky charm kind of God? Is is our God a rabbit's foot? Is our God a God in a box? Now, I don't think many of us are willing to put it that way. We We don't like the thought that we have a God who's basically a genie in a bottle, and when trouble comes, you rub the bottle, the God pops out, does some God stuff, and then goes back in the bottle. We're not going to come out and say it that bluntly. But I think a lot of us kind of have that feeling. We, we have, what, 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 the way we put it is we say, I need God to show up in this circumstance. And some of you, that's your story. You needed God to show up in this circumstance. And God didn't. God didn't show up. And so you're wondering, what kind of God is it when you rub the lamp and he doesn't come out? Your story is like that. You needed God to show up. You needed God to show up in your life. You needed God to show up in your relationship. Because you'd, you'd done what you had done and it maybe made things better, maybe made things worse, but it hadn't fixed things. And so you were hoping that maybe God would just show up and do some God stuff, and the relationship would get better. But it didn't, and you broke up, or your marriage ended, or you're estranged, and you don't 
talk anymore. Because God didn't show up when you were hoping he would. Maybe for some of you, it was in, in, in the area of your, your finances. Maybe you needed money and you were hoping that God would somehow show you something or, or open up some kind of a path that you hadn't, you hadn't been able to figure out. You were hoping that God would show up, do some God stuff, make some money show up somewhere, and it didn't. And you had to sell the thing. You had to, you, you lost the house. You moved back in with your parents because you were hoping that God would do what, what God does and He didn't. Maybe for some of you, I know for some of you, it was somebody who was sick and you prayed and you said, God, make them better. And God didn't. And you wonder, what kind of God is it that when I rub the lamp, He doesn't pop out of the box? And if you've ever prayed that prayer, if you've ever, if you've ever said, God, why don't you show up here and do your job? You have so much company in the Bible. We just finished a, a series back uh, uh, earlier in the summer from the Psalms, and about half the Psalms are people praying that prayer. God, why don't you show up and do your job? And we're going to read a passage of Scripture today when the people of Israel asked that very question, where is God? Why doesn't God do some God stuff right now? Why doesn't God go into his box and then come out when we need him? So we are looking at the story, uh, the, 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 we're picking up the story, I guess I should say, in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel um, uh, is named after Samuel, who was the last of the judges of, of uh, the nation of Israel. We, we left things, we left the ark um, in a known location last week uh, as the people of God were crossing into the, the promised land. They had, um, they, they had, uh, been, uh, in captivity. They had been in bondage in Egypt and God delivered them with a mighty arm and, uh, then, uh, they did not go into the promised land for 40 years. Instead, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. But, um, what we saw last week is when they were ready to go into the wilderness, they, they went right up to the banks of the Jordan River and the question that we saw last week is, is they were waiting for God, but really God was waiting for them. And we talked about how that sometimes is our story too. We think we're waiting for God, but really God is waiting for us. And God parted the Jordan River as soon as their feet hit the river. And they went into the promised land. But if you go back and look at the whole story, you see they could have gotten there 40 years earlier. They could have gotten there the first time that God offered to take them into the promised land. But they were afraid. They were waiting on God to do something, and God was waiting on them, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness because of it. And that's really kind of a shame, because at the same time they finally did arrive in the promised land, so did a different group of people called the Philistines. And uh, we don't know exactly where they came from. Uh, Scholars tell us they came from somewhere in the, the northern part of the east end of the Mediterranean Sea. So maybe up in Turkey, maybe up in Greece, somewhere up there. There's some clues in their language that tells us that they were from somewhere up there. But they migrated down the coast of the eastern Mediterranean, and they wound up basically as far south as you can go and not be in Egypt. So they went all the way down the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and now they're down in the southeast corner in what is today called Gaza, the area of uh, Palestine, which is actually the the Greek word for the Philistines, um, they are in Palestine in the area called so called Gaza along the coast. Now, 
the people of God, when they were delivered from bondage and they spent their time in the Israel, in, in the wilderness, they came around the long way when they finally did come. They went around the, the far side of the Dead Sea and they came in across the Jordan River, or actually through the Jordan River, um, and they settled in the, the Jordan River Valley and in the hills between the Jordan and the coast. And then they spent the next couple of centuries fighting one another. Off and on, it wasn't continuous, but off and on, all through the book of Joshua and through the book of Judges. So it's been a couple of centuries, and most of the time, the Philistines have won. Sometimes the, the God would, God would, would act in a way that the, the Israelites uh, uh, won and they, they carried the day and they'd be these champions, these judges who, who would uh, save Israel uh, by, the, by the work of God, but not always. And most of the time, the, the book of Judges tells us that most of the time Israel was under God's, uh, was under the thumb of the Philistines. And that's about to happen again now that the last judge is seated. Samuel is uh, judging Israel and it says, in those days the Philistines mustered for war against Israel. And Israel went out to battle against them. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. Now, these are just place names for us, but this is actually a very serious matter because what the Philistines had done is they'd gone up the coast, back up to the north, to a place called Aphek. That's near modern-day um, Tel Aviv. And what they appear to have been doing is planning to move inland from there and cut Israel in half. So the north would no longer be able to help the south and vice versa. So the plan seems to have been to to cut Israel in half, and then they would be able to conquer the different halves one after another. So that that seems to have been the strategy. It's a very serious matter. Uh, there, the the Philistines have some advantages in any battle, and uh, there's actually some questions in the program if you want to follow up on that. But the 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 Philistines have an advantage, and so it's a dire matter. The country's survival is at stake. The Israelites desperately need God to show up and save them. And what we read is this. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle was joined, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. Why? Why didn't God show up? These are God's people. These are the people who are called after God's name. These are the people that God has a covenant relationship with. Why didn't God show up? Why didn't God save them when they were in trouble? The Bible doesn't say. It doesn't give us even the briefest hint. There are some speculations. If you go back to chapter 3, you see that there's this uh, uh, character of people, um, uh, uh, Phineas and Hophni, and maybe that's part of it, but we don't know. God doesn't explain why he didn't show up. And I think, I think if you think about the times in your life when you were hoping God would show up and God didn't, you probably didn't get a telegram that said, I'm busy elsewhere, or sorry, I had other things that were on my mind. God doesn't explain why he doesn't show up, and I think we can relate to that. So the Israelites say, why has God put us to rout today? But they don't wrestle with that question. Instead, they jump to a conclusion. They say, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant here from Shiloh so he may come among us and save us from the power of enemies. They say, God's ark is way off to the east in the hills in Shiloh. And the problem is, we've got a bad signal. There's not enough bars. We don't have enough God bars here by the coast. So we're gonna bring, we're gonna bring the ark right down here so we can have God, you know, kind of give us five bars here where we're at now. 
That's their vision of God. They say, let's go fetch God. He's in a box. Let's bring him right down here to the battle. They say, so he may come among us and save us from the power of enemies. They say, what we need to do is we need to get God in the game here. And since God didn't show up on his own, we'll just bring him here, whether he likes it or not. We're going to bring God right into the battle and force his hand. So the people sent to Shiloh, and they brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts. He's enthroned on the cherubim. The two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout. The earth resounded. When the Philistines heard the noise, they said, What does this great shouting mean? They say, Oh my goodness, their gods have come into the camp. Woe to us. And I love this uh, politically incorrect language. Take courage and be men. Man up. Zip up your man suit. O Philistines, in order not to become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you, be men and fight. And they win. It says the Philistines fought and Israel is defeated. Again, not a hint. Why doesn't God show up? It's more desperate than before. The circumstances are more dire than they have been. And God doesn't show up. Again, there's that hint. Maybe, maybe it's something to do with, with, uh, Eli, Eli's two sons. Maybe it's something to do with Hophni and Phineas. But it doesn't tell us that. We can only guess. Why doesn't God show up? And I think really that is the good news in this passage. Do we really want a God that we understand? You know, when I was in college, my, my minor in, in college was in psychology, and I learned all kinds of things. I learned that if you ring the bell and then you feed the dog and you do that enough, then the dog will start drooling every time you ring the bell. I learned that you can, you can teach a rat to run through a maze in a certain amount of time, and it gets better and better, but it only gets so much better. I learned all kinds of things about behavior in my psychology classes. But you know what? I'd hate to have a rat or a dog, as my God. I'd hate to have something that I could understand as my God. I don't want to have a God that I've got figured out. I I can't even figure myself out. I can't figure out the people around me. Do I really want to have a God that I understand completely? I mean, I, I, I tell you, I do. I totally want one that I've got figured out. But I don't really want one. I don't want a God that I've puzzled out. I want a God who's mysterious, and whose purposes are beyond my comprehension. The kind of God that Paul wrote about in Ephesians. The kind of God that he said, find my page. Paul said, the immeasurable greatness of his power, according to the working of his great power. Paul has a God who cannot be measured, a God who cannot fit into a box. And that's the kind of God we should hope for. And instead, too often, we want a small God. We want a lucky charm. We want a genie in a bottle. The problem with that is what happens if you lose the box? Next week, we're going to look at the story of what happened when the ark got lost. What happens if your God fits in a box? What happens if you lose the box? But there is hope here. There's a lesson for us. Because you see what happens. Israel puts their hope in a box. And they say, God's in the box, and as long as we control the box, we control God. But read what the Philistines say. The Philistines say this. They say, 
Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? We've heard about these gods. We've heard rumors. We've, they're tangled up and we don't have all the details right. These are the gods, they say, who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. They've heard about Egypt, they've heard about plagues, but they think it happened in the wilderness, not back when the, the Israelites were still slaves in Egypt. They've got a confused picture of what happened. But they know that these, this god, they actually think that there's several of them. The, the Philistines have a, have a pagan pantheon of gods, and they assume that the Israelites do too. They say, those gods, though, I'll tell you what I know about those gods, they fight. Those gods get involved. Those gods do things because they've got a history. The Philistines realize that a history, a relationship with God, is better than a lucky charm. It's better to be able to look back on what God has done in the past than to rub the rabbit foot in your pocket. So they say, man up. And it's that knowledge that God has a relationship with the Israelites that motivates them to fight. We have a history of God, too. The, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says, he says, what are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? See, we don't understand God. We can't fit God into a box. Or at least a God we can fit into a box isn't a God that's very valuable. But we have a relationship God gave us his son. And the promise is that if he gave us his son, will he not give us everything else? Some of you have read the, the children's books by C.S. Lewis. He, he wrote a number of books, uh, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and others, the Narnia books. And in the first one, when, when one of the children is meeting, there's a whole panoply of uh, uh, mystical beasts, magical beasts, lions and unicorns and things like that. When, when the girl Lucy is told she's going to meet Aslan, Aslan is a lion, and Lucy thinks to herself, I've seen lions. I've seen pictures of lions in books. I've seen lions at the zoo. I'm not so sure I want to meet a lion, a real lion, face to face. And she says, is he safe? And Everybody around her bursts out laughing. laughing. Safe? Aslan's safe? Are you kidding? No, he's not safe. But he's good. What the cross tells us, what our history with God tells us, is that God is not safe. God is not a handy little God that we can fit into a box and file away until we need him again. God is not safe. But our history reminds us that God is good. And a relationship with a good God is better than a lucky charm or a God in a box. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are not safe. Uh, so many of us have questions, Lord. We think to times in our lives when we, when we really, really wanted you to do something. And you didn't. And we don't understand. And it's not fair. And we're puzzled. And we don't know if we can trust you. But God, we give you thanks that we have a history and we can remember the ways you have shown up. And we pray, Lord, you would help us to remember that if you have given us your son, you will not deny us any other good thing. So we pray, Lord, that we would 
keep you out of our boxes, that we would realize you're way too big to fit in a box. And that when you are mysterious and we cannot puzzle out your purposes, that you would give us faith to look to the past and remember that you have promised us a great future. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.